I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a very special Caged In conversation as ever brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsilovus. This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest in the form of Dan Fogler. It was an absolute joy to pick his brain all about playing the main man himself, Francis Ford Coppola in Paramount Plus's limited series the offer which uh, me and Will Chich have been covering week by week here on the podcast and from next week that's going to be taking full focus no longer going to be Friday bonuses uh, up until the end of the season uh, we've got episodes 8, 9 and 10 left to cover uh, they're going to be just your regular choose episodes and we're going to do a nice little wrap up episode kind of talk about our overall thoughts of that so if you're not watching the offer now is your time to watch it get involved it's uh, been a lot of fun and i think this yeah this little season we've been doing deserves its own shine as for this conversation it's absolutely joyous i'm gonna tell you right now if you're here for fantastic beast chat we don't, we don't do it. I, I was uh, aware that my time with Dan might be slightly limited. So I made the conversation very, very, very offer-centric. And we kind of, yeah, we really get into the weeds on it. We really get into what it was like playing Francis Ford Coppola. What it was like being on this show and seeing these recreations of these really famous sets and costumes and... Um, yeah, we get into all of that. We get into the critical reception of this show. Obviously, critics haven't been the kindest to this show. And we kind of, we ask the question why. And it's kind of fascinating to ask a question like that with one of the stars of the show who has some uh, big opinions on it. And I've, I've got to say, as you'll hear in the conversation, I, I agree with Dan on those points. And I'd like to say up front, a massive thanks to Dan for his time. He really didn't have to do this, but um, I don't know. I just found that he's a guy who loves what he does. And it was, uh, yeah, he, he carved out an hour of his time. So I'm going to step away and let you enjoy this conversation with the one, the only, Dan Fogler. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by a Tony Award-winning actor, podcaster, comic book creator, and writer who you may know from such films as Balls of Fury, Fanboys, the Fantastic Beast films, The Walking Dead, or playing Francis Ford Coppola in The Offer, to name but a few of his credits. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Fogler. How are you today, Dan <laughs> Hey man, never cut off the applause. If they want to keep, they want to keep applauding. That's that's fine by me. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a rule to live by, right? If if there's going to be applause, take them. Relish take the, the applause. applause. Yes. 
So I guess, yeah, the one of the, 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 well, the main reason I wanted to speak to you today, obviously you've got this illustrious career, as I said, a, t- a Tony Award winner. Like, So is it right in saying that the stage was like your first love when it came to acting? What was the kind of, I don't know, yeah, what was the early years like and when did you, I don't know, what, what made you want to get into acting, I guess? Yeah, my introduction was school plays and stuff like that and school musicals. And um, I mean, I always loved watching television and watching movies. And my parents would take me to uh, to Broadway and stuff like that. And um, so I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think if my first <clears throat> my first gateway was tv i would have probably gone that way but it was it was theater that's what was most accessible so that's that's what i knew which was good it was really good training in the theater man it's like it's really um it's i I strongly recommend if you're gonna become an actor to to do that it's it's uh it's kind of like um you gain a lot of skills like you would like on like a pirate ship or like, you know, like a sailing (laughs) ship, you know, you learn how to, how to do certain things that come in handy along the way. I guess like that, uh, not monotony, but doing the same thing day in, day out. And you get to ride those rough waves, right? Like you've kind of got the audience right there in front of you. So it's not a case of like, let's do another take. It is the case of let's roll with the waves of how the show is going on the night. Right. Yeah, you hone a lot of skills walking that tightrope, and so you you um <clears throat> yeah, I mean it's it's priceless really as an actor to be able to maintain that character, become an expert at the character, maintain that kind of stamina and endurance and energy every single night mm-hmm. to be able to you know recreate before everybody's eyes uh, something that when you have you don't have a, you only have one take at it yeah. and so that's really quite exciting and if you do mess up <laughs> um then you got to hone the skills of improvisation which is also really helpful uh yeah so you know it it comes in it really comes in handy and you just to be in front of people um is something really special like that audience interaction um when it's going well and you you're kind of riding that the wave of laughter or whatever or you can hear a pin drop there's there's man there's nothing like that that's like um the best and that translates into like i still use those skills while i'm on set so like if i'm on set and I'm trying to gauge how things are going. I'll use the crew as like my mini audience, you know, everyone's <laughs> standing around the character, everyone's standing around the camera. I feel if they're kind of holding in giggles, like I know it's funny. And if they're, if they're like really listening and mm-hmm. like, they'll tell you, they'll come up after and just be like, that was great. You know, like, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's good. Uh, all those skills. I, I, I I would never change a thing about my training. I guess with the theatre as well, you get a chance to, um, I, I guess the way to put it is understand like the internal workings of a character. Have you found that is something that you've taken to like your screen work, kind of like really developing the characters you're playing? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Everything I learned in creating characters, like some characters you can really um, pull from your own life. Mm-hmm. And that's what I usually do. Um, like that's like Uta Hagen stuff, you know, like that's one of the first acting books I ever read where you are acting with somebody, you don't really know them, but you take from your own life. Oh, who does this person remind you of? Oh, yeah. That person that, you know, was my you know friend or girlfriend or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and you project that onto them and then suddenly in an instant you have you know 20 year relationship with them um and that's suddenly that's like instant chemistry that you can that you can come up with so usually the characters that i play um are 
start from, oh, how is this person like me? And then I kind of find something or stories that happened to me or people that I knew and I, and I grow characters out of that. Um, sometimes like very in a very theatrical way, sometimes it's just a hat, you know, sometimes it's just shoes or a mustache, you know, mm-hmm. um, like for Jacob, even though I had a tremendous amount in common with Jacob Kowalski, um, it wasn't until I had the mustache, I was like, oh, there he is. You know, that's, that's that, that iconic, you know, which is Baker which- look. It's fascinating because I, when like yeah, I've researched like the, the the making of the Godfather myself and like like combed through loads of books and I think it's in Mark Seal's great book Leave the Gun Take the Cannoli and he kind of says how Coppola would get trinkets for people to kind of like put this in your pocket, have this lighter, and like just to try. Obviously, a guy who was all about actors, as we kind of see throughout the offer, is like there's that great well those scenes between uh, yourself and like the, yeah, the uh, Gordy Willis, like the kind of butting heads of like the, the look of it versus the actors doing their job. And I find, I find that fascinating finding those, those details to make a, to make a performance, something special. It's great to hear that that's something you, you draw upon as well. Yeah. Coppola was legendary for those little <laughs> quirks because he, he comes from the theater. Yes. Um, and so I think that you see that in his work. Um, it's pervasive, the way he talks to the actors and relates to them. Um, there, there are those small details I picked up on in the, in the show. Like, I think there's a scene quite early on with you and Patrick, and you're yeah. slicing out pages of the novel, which, like, instantly in my head is like a kind of big nerd on, the, uh, on, on Coppola and, and The Godfather. It's like, Oh, he's creating the kind of the famous like notebook, and like I think yeah. there's a moment like later on in a board meeting, and like you slam it down on the table, and it's obviously if you don't know that that minor detail that Coppola went through creating this kind of something he had gathered from the theatre, right? This like kind of this will do this, and kind of writing all in the margins yeah. and stuff like that. Like, yeah, the God the Godfather notebook was um, <clears throat> was uh a part of my homework that Dexter Fletcher told me that I needed to do before we got started and that was just genius because what it was was Coppola's um theatrical directorial theatrical training and what you do in that situation is you take the play <clears throat> and you cut out all the pages and then you put it into a larger notebook so that you can have a larger, so you have the the page from the play, and then on the on the margins you have places so you can write, and you tape all of those, and you paste all of those pages. And I love that he did this, and he, he pastes all the pages from his play, which was the novel The Godfather, and he puts it into this enormous notebook, and he has these giant pages with the the novel pages at the center and all around the novel pages are his anxieties and his notes and, you know, all of his little, little tidbits of like, how the hell am I going to do this scene? And, and having those, it's literally like a, a, a microscope into his brain of exactly what he was thinking for those scenes in that moment. I was like, Oh my God, this is like the keys to his, his psyche. Um, which was really obviously really helpful to have that notebook. And that came, he did that because, you know, this was a big job. This was a big thing. And he said, okay, I'm going to do what I do uh, as a director um, in these situations. And he, I, it's incredible that he chopped up all of, that's a big book, man. That's a big <laughs> novel, The Godfather. That's, that's a lot of pages. And that's two copies, right? Because obviously you've got a, you can't have yeah you can't flip over the page like do you know what I mean you have to have two copies so it's on one sided do you know what I mean if that makes sense oh right I see what you're saying yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. so it becomes even larger well he did it where you have the you know the front of the page of the book and the back of the page of the book and you just oh you cut a hole put in, that the in the middle of, the of a big old oh, yeah, page yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it I get it I get it yeah, yeah so and uh and then if you watch the show 
he holds on to that for all of the the shooting. That's like his Bible. He says that he rarely looked to the script. That that whenever he was re- referencing his shots, he always looked in that gigantic, <laughs> you know, sandwich of a notebook. And uh, that was a great prop to have around. That was his like um, his shield. You know, walking into those producer meetings, and he could kind of. You know, if things were going <laughs> not going well, he could kind of hide behind it, or if, if he was upset, he could smash it down. You know, um, yeah, that was a great prop, man. And yeah, I strongly recommend just getting that book. If you love The Godfather, you see what was on Coppola's mind on every single yeah. in every single scene, which is genius. So yeah. you said that obviously you normally try and look for a similarity, like with a character. How was yeah. it different? Because am I right in thinking this is the first like true life person you've you've played like on screen? How was that different? Is that is that is that a different like what was the in like someone who's living? Yeah, yeah, mean? yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody who has been alive. Uh, yeah. I just realized I did. This is the most, I guess, major one. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do it before in a movie called Taking Woodstock. Yes. Um, where I played this guy called Devin, who was who was one of the Earthlight, the head of the, the leader of the Earthlight players. And that was easy, man. I just had to do like theater exercises, you know. Um, but um yeah, Coppola was kind of daunting. But it, there were moments of like where I of like that I was instilled with like confidence where it was in the audition I put I like if you told me, okay, you're gonna audition for Coppola, I was like, I'd be like, okay, uh, <laughs> really? Uh, that's awesome. Uh, but then when I was doing the audition and I put the glasses on and I put my hair to the side and I had the beard and and I was like, oh man, I kind of look like him, you know. And so that was that was helpful, um, just knowing that I I it wasn't hard to look like him. Um, and then where he was in his life at the time and where he was in his career. I understood that. Mm -hmm. I understood where he was hungry. He wanted to prove himself. He was, um, he, he had gained notoriety and as a writer, but not as a director. And so he was in this kind of limbo and I've been there, man. I've been in that place (laughs) where I'm just like, just give me a shot, you know, just, you know, just let, you know, just, just let me just get in the room and, and, and being in a situation where he has this idea, but he's, he's the youngest guy in the room in a lot of scenario, in a lot of situations. So it's even harder for him to, for people to trust his vision, you know, and, Oh, what a battle, like what a, what a great part to play. Um, I so I, I understood a lot about what he was going through at the time, or at least I was able to project my own, yes. you know, past woes in my career. Um, and so I, I I got that, you know, and uh, there was also I've been I've been watching Coppola since I'm I'm 15. Yes. Like I, I I've been watching I that's when I saw Heart Hearts of Darkness, and I was like who is this lunatic making this <laughs> in a movie? Like who, who is this ringleader at the middle of the, all of these incredible performers and recreating a war, like an entire war, you know? Uh, uh, and so right away, just watching him and just being like, Oh, he kind of reminds me of like an uncle of mine or, <laughs> or he reminds me of like, because he, he and my dad are from, you know, similar regions in New York. And so my dad kind of sounds like him. And and so watching him, it was almost like I was watching someone from the neighborhood or someone from my family or, um, so Coppola has been very, felt very familiar to me over, uh, since the beginning. Um, and yeah, so, and then, there's certain things, you know, you, 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 like getting into those outfits. Uh-huh. and Yeah, like especially I, I was kind of waiting for 
the premiere of The Godfather just to see just to see you walk down in that bright Man. orange suit like like the velvet oh. fog. <laughs> Velvet and corduroy and corduroy and velvet, man. Yeah, that that velvet orange suit. I had a velvet one. I also had a blue one, I think. It, it's, <laughs> it's it was, oh, yeah, for the Oscars, I had a blue velvet tuxedo. <laughs> the, um, that orange suit was, not a lot of people could pull that off, you know? But it's just, it just like cemented in the time period in such a great way like that's so 70s you know and it's so ballsy like coppola who i'm pretty convinced that he has a lot of fears and he he faces those fears by <laughs> swinging the pendulum toward the other total other side you know yeah. you're just like He's like, oh my gosh, we're going to this event. Everyone's going to be like judging my film. Oh my God, I, I have a lot riding on this. I just want to hide. No, I'm going to wear a shiny orange outfit, you know? Well, and yeah, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't hide, you know? And that's, it takes an interesting ego to wear something like that. Exactly, exactly. Um, what, what I find fascinating about this, and obviously you've, yeah, you've stepped into like the wizarding world and, like you came into the walking dead at a later stage were the kind of those have like inbuilt audiences and like a level of expectation was there like a different kind of pressure like when it came to playing francis ford coppola because obviously there would be you kind of did you know that there would be eyes on this project like a lot of eyes and a lot of kind of like do you know what I mean people i don't know yeah, I mean, scrutinizing everything like that you were doing yeah. was it like uh yeah. what was that feeling like yeah it's kind of like you have to let you have to let go and just have fun or else you're just gonna go nuts yes scrutinizing every little bip and boop you do i had deck like dexter fletcher was just a huge mm -hmm. um you know re really a huge help for boosting confidence right away like he like like first just rehearsals really he was like you've got it mate you're him you're him mate and just like all right i guess i'm him man. <laughs> you know and he like, like hypnotized me and into believing i was him and um i really felt like i got his essence you know mm -hmm. and uh and my god surrounded by those performances um like someone like matthew good oh, yeah i can only i can only fathom what it would have been like on set to see him go full bob evans like <laughs> yeah so so i call him the time machine because <laughs> there there were moments where he'd be talking and i would have an out-of-body experience like i would be in my pov and i would see you know coppola's glasses and coppola's hands and <laughs> coppola's you know notebook and there's Evans just being Bob Evans, baby. And, and they're just being like, whoa. And then like seeing the <laughs> Paramount sign and, and everyone perfectly dressed uh, in the period. There were moments where I, I um, almost forgot my lines because I was like, whoa, we are, we are here, man. Um, and I think it's hard, it's hard to do that. Uh, and sometimes you're feeling it and, you know, but um I really feel like there were like when in the recreation of all of these certain things, we didn't do it all the time, but when we did do it, it was pretty magical. Mm. I was, yeah. I was going to ask about that. Cause one of the things me and my co-host will, when we've been talking about the offer, we we're constantly saying like the, the recreations of like some of the sets and the locations from yeah. the film, what was it like being on there? Obviously you said you've grown up with Coppola since you were 15. Was it kind of feeling like you're, I don't know. Is it a weird feeling to walk onto like something that you probably yeah i imagine you've probably seen countless amounts of times well growing up growing up watching coppola and watching the godfather and he, like yeah anytime there was any recreation of the smallest mm -hmm. little thing um every everyone who was a fan would just be like oh you know, they would have a, they would have a, just a little, you know, this warm, nostalgic yeah. feeling in their heart of, I mean, 
the smallest thing where it was just like, uh, you know, the guys, just the guys waiting on the steps. I think just even a fraction of this made it into the show. But for me, when I first saw that, I was like, whoa, this guy really looks like Enzo, the baker, Mm -hmm. being, you know, put up there to to look like a hitman in in that scene where they're protecting his father in the hospital. That's such an emotional, powerful scene. And then for the guy to like suddenly, you're st- I'm standing there. I'm just like, yeah, I'm acting like Coppola. I turn around and suddenly there, Enzo walks up, you know, out of the mist. <laughs> and I'm just like, holy crap, I'm in the movie. Like, what, what, what the hell's happening? Intense, man. Um, I mean, that's just something that's tiny. Yes. Seeing, seeing Brand- being in Brando's, you know, office, Inner Sanctum. Mm-hmm. That was like, yeah, that's. I'm, I'm glad. That's something. I felt like I was in. I, I was in like a, a dream. Yeah, that's like Patrick said. He said that day felt very special, just like kind of being the small group of you with Miles Teller and um, Juno Temple and Justin Chambers. Like, they, were, oh. they, they felt felt really magic that day. That well, that's well. I'm talking about when he's already the Don and we're in his office. You know. Uh huh. Oh yes, 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 like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. But Patrick, love Patrick. Um, we we had that brilliant scene where we, which is like a legendary scene, mm-hmm. um, where they really went to Brando's house to convince him to do the movie, and uh, and Coppola took his like little sixteen millimeter camera or whatever, and and filmed him. And Brando was in like a kimono with like blonde hair and <laughs> did not look like the Don. And then Brando, the genius, you know, theatrical actor, was like, "Give me some, give me some shoe polish and some some cotton balls for my for my jowls." You know, and then the next thing you know, he Brando transforms into the Don behind them, and that's a famous like story. Oh, yeah. And we recreated that moment, which was really quite magical. Um, but I'm talking about any time we recreated moments from the actual movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was really surreal. Mm-hmm. Very think. special. Like we we recreated like at the on the cover of the um, the Godfather Notebook. There's a picture of Coppola leaning over Brando uh, while Brando's in the tuxedo and he's got the cat. And they're in the office there. And I said, we got to recreate that moment. And that's <laughs> that moment is in the show where I'm leaning over him and I'm and we're and I'm saying, so how, how do you feel about it? And I'm like, you want to try another one? And, and so that was I was like, ah, I love that. I love that we did that. <laughs> and uh, um I think my favorite one that we recreated was the one where um Sonny beats up uh, Carlo yes. <laughs> uh, because there was just so many different overlaps of Sonny getting justice for his sister, but he's also getting justice for my sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I loved all that. And then the me and Miles and our little, like, you know, yeah, the, uh, our, our little uh, undercover action there was i I love that man i I love that bit it makes me smile there's the little line as well i think about like the the authenticity of like the fire hydrant and stuff like that which is obviously like like if you yeah if you're a fan of the godfather it's like you just kind of always remember that like spraying fire hydrant in that scene and just i don't know i i think the show does it really well and you see the setups of these shots and like i'm always like because i I don't know how you you would have felt like being in it, but obviously watching it, you're almost like hesitant of, and I imagine it's obviously a choice by the the makers of like, we're not going to show you recreations of these scenes because that's almost like sacrilege. But like just to see the reactions from people is, and I think I don't know that that's a lot of what you get to do in this show, right? Is like yeah. there's a lot of just reaction shots of and I, some using of the- those scenes as an emotional backdrop yes. to. The story of how they made this movie you know that's yeah. basically what we did yeah which i i always i always love those moments because it's i don't know it's 
it's that classic thing of it's what you're not seeing and you're imagining going on as well it's kind of that plays as much as a part of what you are seeing at the same time and it kind of works in this kind of magical tandem to 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 make you emote even more like i guess a scene yeah that i how it felt for you to do was that scene at the dinner table with the kind of the cast and al ruddy like what was what was that like were you kind of as like you as an actor were you kind of as amazed and awestruck as coppola is in that scene um yeah that was that was also another legendary story Mm-hmm. that we were recreating so you know, like we heard about that story and i heard about that story in college like that yeah. that bit was written about where coppola got all the actors together and you know the back room of this restaurant and got real italian food um and this was his acting exercise and mm-hmm. he he was Coppola is all about um, the sensual and getting actors to um, hang out together and eat together and, and party together because that just made for better chemistry. Like it's, it's just undeniable. Um, so this was his, ver- his first version of that for the Godfather. And I guess he had done this for other theater things. And um, so at this dinner, and it's basically how it plays out in the show. Uh, you have Brando sit down at the table and everybody's just kind of like, you know, Jimmy Khan, may he rest in peace, man. Oh, um, Jimmy sits next to him. Um, he's like vying for his attention. And then, you know, uh, John Casal, he's like, he's sitting there. He's trying to like, you know, awkwardly get his attention too. Everyone's trying to like, and 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 because of this hierarchy, it's just like, yeah, that's how they would be with their father, you know. Hey, Dad, look at me, you know. And Coppola, you know, legend was legendarily awestruck by it. He was just like, oh my god, it's working. It's just working. You get all these talented people together. Suddenly, Michael was Michael, and I mean, you know, Pacino is just like instantly Pacino sitting next to Diane Keaton. They're falling in love already. He's like, "This is easy," you know? and 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 so it was. Uh, that's a that was a legendary scene that we had to recreate, but I think we pulled off really well. But you know, it's 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 you're walking a tightrope. You're just like, you know, we have to pay homage to this. We have to make it our own. You know, obviously. But uh, you have such high expectations of, uh, about what it is, you know. Um, but people, people responded to people love that scene. People yeah. were tweeting, tweeting like crazy about it. Did, have, have, did you find that obviously being in the show, were you able to enjoy it as like a viewer? Have you have you watched it as well, or you, do you kind of keep things separately? Yeah, I was really interested because I didn't see anything while we were doing it. I just kind of trusted them Mm -hmm. that it was going well. I usually like to see playback, you know, after each take, but I didn't see anything. And (laughs) so they gave me 10 episodes, all 10, um, about a month before it came out. And I fell in love with it. I was like, oh, my God, everyone. And it's such a pity that the Emmys just snubbed the hell out of it because I was convinced that, you know, I was at least convinced that Matthew was going to get nominated at least, you know, I, I was like, um, Juno, I was, I was convinced. I was convinced Miles was going to get some attention. And I was, I was convinced that, um, it was going to get, <laughs> you know, but obviously, uh, I was wrong. But at the time I was like, this is great. I showed it to my family. I showed it to my friends. Everyone was just like, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny because, the reviewers had uh, 99% of the reviewers had their heads up their asses. It's just crazy. It's like they were all paid off or something. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but the audience reviews really that's what, that's what, tell you what's going on there. Yeah, people freaking love it. And I always think that's, well, what do you think about that? When you have such a, such a strange, you know, dichot- like it's just so, it's such a juxtaposition. Like, you have on one side people who are actually watching it, who would, who we make it for, mm-hmm. 
the audience loving it. And then you have all these reviewers who are in, you know, you, who you think are part of respectable uh, companies. (laughs) They just totally missed it. Like, how does that happen? You're a, they're a professional, you know? Yeah, I, cause obviously, yeah, I've, I've, I've probably spent a lot more time than a lot of people kind of dissecting each individual episode. And it's taking, how, like, how could you not find something good in it? It's like there's something great in all of it. And obviously like knowing the kind of people in like, as soon as you've got like Dexter Fletcher kind of setting the tone of what the show is, it kind of, that comes with a certain kind of, I don't know, like, you know the tone that it's gonna, he's going to be setting, and one of the things I found like wholly enjoyable about this about the show is the kind of the fun tone to it, and the I, I guess the where it might um, yeah, it's something we speculated on the show is obviously people within especially a lot of like film critics have got involved in the conversation is because of the nature of what the show is about and it's obviously a film that is held up so high and there is so much about it and people kind of know the internal workings that they get too caught up on the well actually it didn't happen exactly like that and i i I kind of I, i i'm kind of like yourself baffled about why it's kind of got this disconnect and yeah the audiences seem to love it and i i'm not sure if that is a thing of people taking it on face value for an entertaining show about something they don't know whereas maybe the 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 press if they're kind of embedded into knowing about the the machinations of how the godfather was actually made get caught up on all the the small details to kind of just enjoy it for for the fun show that it is Yeah, that's, that's that's my that's a that that's my kind of uh, take on it. Well, um, I guess yeah, we we talked about Dexter Fletcher there. Obviously, he did set the tone, but kind of, and it's it's, it's interesting because you have Adam Arkin there, and how was it that difference between working with those two who are actors themselves, and then obviously you've got kind of acclaimed, uh, seasoned pros, kind of TV directing in Gwyneth Horder Payton. And Colin Buxy, like how how was the di- difference in those episodes, or was it a kind of a nice fluid yeah. thing? Whether whether was different was yeah. No, everyone's got their own style, you know. Um, Dexter is like a one man uh, circus, basically. Like he's he's pumping up everybody's egos, and he's calling the shots. And he's walking up and he's giving great, great actors, director direction. And then he's walking back to the camera and like making all the extras laugh on the way back to the camera and just, just setting a really fun, exciting tone. Mm -hmm. Um, Adam Arkin, he directed the most episodes, you know, um, he, you know, he is part of uh, Hollywood royalty, you know, mm-hmm. um, really knows and I guess how he, to he get would, great performances. And he maybe would have had like, well, could have got some, well, first-handed uh, like experience of that time. Because I believe he was acting even from around like 72 in a couple of things. But then oh, wow, yeah. obviously like, he could have easily spoke to his dad about like yeah and and probably would have throughout the years known what it was like in hollywood at that time as well did that kind of come into play at all did did did, did were the discussions had like kind of or did it just come through naturally in the way he directed you that there was like i don't know this legacy i love the scenes that i love the um like he was really cool with uh the you know, dialogue scenes like the the intimate two person. Like I love the scenes with me and Puzo, mm-hmm. um, and it's like the brainstorming scenes, mm-hmm. which is my favorite, probably my favorite bits because that's what I think it's all about. Mm-hmm. The scene where where Coppola is talking to Puzo and saying, 
No, you you wrote great characters. You got to trust yourself, man. This is like, <laughs> it's like you're suddenly there, you know? It's like you're there. And, and that's what I, was really important for, for me, at least, to recreate. And that's those are Adam's first directing scenes. And um, I thought those scenes were great where... He, where you see Coppola in real time think of a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he takes Puzo's foundation of brilliance and says, ooh, let me run with this, and then comes up with a moment that is iconic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, one uh, the, the holding on to the yeah. gun and during the... <laughs> And just that little moment, Michael holds on to the gun too long when he kills Salazzo McCluskey. And everyone remembers that. Everyone's watching the movie and it's like, why is he holding on to the gun? Drop the gun, drop the gun. You know? <laughs> uh, and uh, But I, I thought it was so important for the audience to see those moments because it, that's, that's real, man. That's how people come up with these scripts. Two people sitting there bouncing off ideas from each other, and someone has a spark of genius. Like you got to see that spark of genius. Like I, like I, I thought it was really important to recreate that. So obviously, those scenes between yeah, you and Patrick as uh, Francis and Puzo, that's something we talk about on the show. Is like how special they are, and kind of as the season progresses, and Patrick's like kind of as it happened when the film was made, kind of wasn't about anymore. Kind of both of us are kind of a bit. Uh, heartbroken like oh no we don't get we don't get more of these scenes but you guys had a kind of uh unique experience in the fact that you ended up living together can you tell us about uh that that experience and how that came to be yeah in the vein of coppola (laughs) saying you know the actors should hang out together from the first rehearsal i walked in and i saw him sitting there and i just i I projected onto him, oh, this is guy, this is a guy I, I you know, I grew up with in the neighborhood. Because he is kind of like that, yeah. that guy. And um I was talking to him, just gave him a big hug as soon as I saw him. <laughs> and uh and he was saying, you know, he got the the part last minute and he came out to LA and he was just like going with the flow and still looking for a place. And I was like, well, I got this, uh, this, this place that I'm renting. And, you know, my family, my wife and kids were, I had like a, like three weeks or like a month before they were going to come out and be with me. Cause I thought that was also like a, a Coppola thing. You know, he would have his family around with him. So I was like, I got some time before they get here um do you want i I got an extra room you want to you know be roomies and and i I thought that was genius because coppola and puzo spent a lot of time together writing the godfather and uh, i thought yeah man we should we should do that in the vein of the you know classic uh, method (laughs) actors and so we we hung out we we partied we um we tried to you know, improvise as, as our characters as much as possible. And uh, we had a, we had a blast, man. And, and it shows like the cam, the chemistry is real. Like um, when you see Juno and Miles, uh, you know, Betty and Ruddy, and they're just like, well, they're like an old married couple, the way they're, you know, just like chatting away there. And uh, I was like, okay, if that's what it says in the script, then we got to act like we're just like best pals from, from the start. And, so that's what we did. It gives me a chance to say, like, G- Juno Temple is, she's something else, right? Like, kind of. Yeah, I love she's, her. She's, she's, a, she's amazing. And there's kind of, uh, I think with this and uh, Ted Lasso kind of. Has built, oh, yeah. Built a niche for herself as, as being like the woman who's sorting men's shit out, basically. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's kind of on that show. <laughs> Uh, keeping well you know in ted lasso she really gets to show this very sensitive Mm -hmm. side and that's i feel like that character is very close to her personality you know the dial is turned up a little bit but um i think that's that you know keely is very close to her uh betty is also close to her in a different way but obviously uh betty's american and and um and I loved every moment of uh, 
playing with Juno. She's become a great friend. Um, yeah, she's just like one of those people that lights up a room, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and she really makes you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. But she is so um she's very disarming and she's very charming. Um, but she also is just like no bullshit, you know. Mm-hmm. We're here to work. Like, this is the fun working, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, that, that comes across as like great scenes where there's kind of what what we've coined as the gang kind of hanging out. Whether it's like bar scenes and stuff like that, and they're yeah. always a, they're always a joy to. Oh, work. how great is she in that scene where she's wasted at the bar? Oh. She's just calling Lapidus Lapinus yes. over and over again. Yeah, I, I love That's that kind hysterical. of whole, whole set piece because we kind of follow her throughout yeah. the bar and then kind of dip into different people's conversations yeah that's a love that standout uh moment in the we're show. going to sicily <laughs> <laughs> love that man i one of the things i particularly love about the whole because obviously that is a big thrust of the show is will they go to sicily um where yeah. was where were those uh sicily scenes shot dan can you can you shed, shed some light on that oh we were all it was just like <laughs> all in california man we were like near, near like malibu and you know it's terrible i love it I it's love amazing it. how like some of those places it really looks like a yeah. like a little villa you know it's, it's amazing uh you know they've been shooting movies and westerns and crazy you know stuff around uh, up in california for years so they got all those places mapped out but it was sad we were supposed to go to sicily actually go to sicily and then it was like ooh, we're going to the canary islands and then it was like <laughs> earthquake so we're going to stay here it was like <laughs> oh okay so you you had that you yeah you had that real real life kind of turmoil of will we get to sicily or not as well you got to go yeah. on that as well that, yeah that's perfect well kind of as the show ends we see like yeah copla and puzo pitching part two and like yeah. copla's on like a, a high of um i don't know yeah infused for for what the future brings obviously there probably won't be a second season of this because i imagine well there's not a lot of drama that went on with part two right it kind of seemed like uh, i don't know there doesn't seem to be the wealth of books and kind of material on part two but if 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 there were would you come back to to the character of francis copla absolutely um yeah it's a, i would love to play again i think that uh yeah it's tough to do a part two because unless paramount is, like takes it from unless paramount takes it from al ruddy and, and they're just like all right we're gonna do our own story of part two because al mm-hmm. um steps away yeah. from part two which is like what? But he steps away to do his own thing. I guess. Um, I guess Michael Tolkien has to have a chat with uh, Fred Roos or someone, somebody who was a producer on that one instead. I think there. I think there are tons of stories to tell about part two. There are a million stories to tell. Those would be great. Obviously, incredible scenes to do. The backdrop have the as emotional backdrop to the story. Um, get. De Niro infusion, like holy crap! Um, <laughs> you would you would have. I think there's a lot of potential, and they did. So if you started to go into part two and after a little bit of Apocalypse Now, a little bit of Cotton Club, um, Coppola is becoming Coppola, you know, and uh, yeah, and funny. you get a little bit of that, Evans. Um, and he butt heads quite a bit on the Cotton Club. I think that uh, you, you might you might squeeze out another season for sure. Yeah, I, but that's just me. I, yeah, I always I, I, that's something I was going to ask you is like of the kind of productions that Coppola did and like returning to this character. What for you would be like the dream making of that you you would love to either see or kind of be a part of like see yeah. Apocalypse Now. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's already Hearts of Darkness. I mean, it would be weird to to do a series with Apocalypse Now as a backdrop, but there's so many insane stories. Like, how would you, how do you top 
the offer, you, you'd have to introduce Apocalypse Now, I think. Yeah. Um, that and I, I mean, and all those, all those actors, man, like, mm-hmm. yeah, De- Dennis Martin, Martin Sheen's <laughs> heart attack, like, <laughs> yeah, just that episode would just that, be like, what the fuck? That, yeah, that's an episode cliffhanger, right? That's kind yeah. of like Martin Sheen's had a heart attack, like, boom, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's like that, that kind of writes itself, or even something like, I guess. For some, it's the downturn of Coppola's career, but even the making of something like One from the Heart, which I guess is like, oh. like when he had like built the dream, right? He had Zoetrope Studios, and then it was that film that kind of. It's been said on this podcast, <laughs> like that it's kind of the the whole not the whole eighties output is basically paying off the debt of of that movie and that kind of folly. Yeah. <laughs> directing from inside of a Winnebago, essentially. Yeah, I'm not sure how fun it would be as an actor to portray that. Just sat at a kind of like control. It's always fun. It's (laughs) always fun. Be cool to see Cotton Club and get a little cage in there, man. That would be uh, yes, yeah, right. And 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 what a crazy performance from Cage in that. That's like his most insane, I think. And and I guess that would end up turning into a courtroom drama as well, right? Because right, Bob Bob Evans and Francis Ford Coppola end up in court over who yeah. had control of that movie. So yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a, if there was a bookend. And we... So this podcast of yours, it's all about, or started out as the love, uh, for the love of Nicholas Cage. Cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, I, it's how do you get to know somebody? You get to know their family. So once I'd finished all his movies, I was like, <laughs> yeah, let's watch yeah. all the Coppola movies. Let's yeah. kind of, however far reaching that is there's kind of there's a fascinating thing that it even seems to be that people who marry into the family their careers tend to change or like do you know what I mean like you can look at it and yeah in the ways of Spike Jones we always use as an example is like he's married to Sophia Coppola and I think there's a story that Francis was offered being John Malkovich and said I know a guy who should direct this and it's like is Spike Jones to the world, or yeah, there's so many interesting yeah. kind of uh, Jack Schwartzman as well. I think yeah, Talia Shire's second husband yeah. was was an attorney and then married Talia Shire. Then he was a film producer. So it's like they've kind of it's it is they're I don't know they're like the Corleones in the fact of they draw people into the family business and like <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't I don't know if they look at Spike Jones I don't know, like um probably not your place to say but you like i'll say it. people could speculate that he's a a bit of a carlo rizzi and the fact that like i think uh lost in translation is is based upon him as the G- giovanni rabisi character so. <laughs> oh crazy <laughs> what did you think of giovanni in in the offer i i, I loved him we, we we he's he's a favorite that we like to do impressions of let me see we have an ongoing joke of like how how high up are his shoulders going in each episode ongoing. he did that thing where every time he every time he sat down he did this (laughs) (laughs) i loved it i loved that i loved it yeah him and him and um uh, the actor playing joe gallo said like some of the best eye acting i've ever seen oh yeah like yeah (laughs) What about Lou Ferrigno, man? Ah, oh, yeah. Especially oh. when when you when you know who he's playing as well, it's like genius casting. Like, yeah, Luca Brasi. But but what's come on, man? I grew up on the Hulk, on the Incredible Hulk, and then like that was cool. Yeah, because I grew up watching the Incredible Hulk, loving Lou Ferrigno, going to Comic Cons. And then, like, seeing him at a Comic-Con and, like, getting him to, like, walk up to him and say to him, hey, man, I've been a huge fan, you know, and just being like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then being on set of The Offer and in walks Lou Ferrigno. (laughs) And he's looking around, like, for people that he recognizes. And he walks up to me, man. He he freaking recognized me. Like, hey, Dad, how you doing? (laughs) Like, holy crap. The Hulk 
recognize me. I was like, that was very special. Very special moment. The, the thing I loved about him in the show is for yeah. a while he's just kind of floating around in the back of scenes as well like it's yeah. kind of holding up buildings yeah he's kind of doesn't get a chance to like like when you know he's playing lenny montana you're like oh yeah that's perfect but at the beginning he's like he's just one of uh yeah one of joe colombo's like men it's like what's lou ferrigno just doing hanging around in the in the back of this scene like whilst they <laughs> chat around a dinner table um <laughs> yeah Amazing, Dan. Well, I, yeah, I, I could speak to you all night, but I'm, I'm cautious of time, uh, your time. Yeah, I should go. Um, so, obviously, yeah, as, as, as well as doing uh, acting, kind of like oh, well, you've directed in the past, you, you you have a graphic novel, and that's uh, one of your graphic novels, uh, Moon Lake, is being turned into a TV show. Is that is that something we'll be able to see in the, the near future? How, how's the production on, on that going at the moment? Yeah, thanks for bringing it up, man. I, I, I'm... Publisher is Heavy Metal, who I grew up, you know, Heavy Metal movie, Heavy Metal magazine. Like, that's another dream come true to be able to to be working with them. My books are all homages to the stuff I grew up watching past my bedtime. So Heavy Metal um, is has published Moon Lake, which is my homage to them, uh, my homage to Twilight Zone and Tales from the Crypt. And, um, yeah, we're making an animated show out of it with Bardell, who are the guys that do Rick and Morty. And um, so that's really exciting. I hope so. We just started pitching it to to sell. I think there's a really good shot. We have an amazing cast. Um, Keith David, you know, who is, uh, you know, Spawn and Wanda, you know, like, uh, and and uh, Phil Lamar is Samurai Jack. Like, come on. Um Cooper Andrews from The Walking Dead and uh, Allison Sudal is in it as well. She's Queenie from Fantastic Beasts. I mean, it's just the Maggie Q. Like the, every, it's an all-star cast. So I, I think we're gonna have a good shot. Um, yeah, and then my other books, uh, Brooklyn Gladiator and Fishkill. Those are my other books with um, heavy metal and Brooklyn Gladiator is like, uh, like uh, you know, my sci-fi dystopian book. Um, like um you know blade runner escape from new york style and then uh fishkill is more is a prequel to that and it takes place now um and it's more of like a modern noir with a little bit of sci-fi sprinkled in uh, and that's um uh ben templesmith is drawing that which is really cool ben uh uh simon beasley man you know simon beasley who who um one of my favorite books was lobo Mm-hmm. growing up uh and simon drew those and and he's he's drawing brooklyn gladiator which is awesome so if you're you're a fan of simon he does a great job with brooklyn gladiator um yeah man i'm a kid in a candy store i got all this <laughs> all this stuff going on from when i was a you know happening now from when i was a kid all these things are coming full circle it's, perfect. it's really quite nice so what can we see you uh, on the screen in next? Is it is, Are we going to see you on the big screen or is there any small screen stuff? I know it's often hard to, to tell people what's coming down the, down the pipeline, but yeah. Yeah, that's a good question, man. I am up for a couple different parts. Nothing's been solidified yet. Um, I got a lot of interesting, like after doing Coppola, you know, it's hard to go back and do a silly comedy and I really <laughs> want to do something special afterwards. So we're really trying to mine and find something good. There's some, there are really some good prospects. I'll be able to talk about it more probably in a, like a month or two. I've been getting a lot more voiceover work, which is great. I, um, yeah, I, I, I recently took my son to the cinema for the second time and oh. uh, would have, would have heard you in uh, DC's League of Super Pets. I yeah, mean. Super Pets. Yeah. I, I did a I did a couple voices in that, which was cool. Um, they uh, they threw me a bone during <laughs> the lockdown, man. I I was like, uh, because Fantastic Beasts shut down, and so I was like, oh my gosh, I have to pay some bills. <laughs> um, so Warner Brothers very kindly threw me a couple voices from that, and uh, that's always fun to. Uh, that's like my favorite thing to do those voices, especially doing a couple different voices. I, uh, that's like my jam. Cause like, I, I love Mel Blanc and Looney Tunes and all that. And, 
And it's always fun to go and take my kids and just be like, okay, see how many, see how many voices you can tell that daddy's doing. And yeah, like they can always pick them out. It's crazy. Sometimes <laughs> I missed it. Sometimes I missed it. And I'm, they're just like, that was you, daddy. I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, that was me. That's <laughs> cool. Amazing, Dan. Well, uh, yeah, um, I'll be sure to, to to keep an ear out or keep an eye out on on social media to see see any announcements for stuff. That yeah, you're be and in. check out uh, check out the Dan Fogler 4D Experience podcast. That's my podcast, and um, a lot of cool interviews on there. And yeah, check that out. That's on Spotify and all the regular things. Amazing. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate it. It's always fun to talk about the offer. And there we have it, ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with Dan Fogler. And what a joyous time that was. I really thoroughly enjoyed chatting to Dan and could have talked to him for ages. I always say that when I interview people, but it very much is the case on this time. Um, very much like Patrick Gallo, um, who played Mario Puzo on the show. So if you haven't listened to that episode, head on back and listen to that. I think those two guys are very much two people in uh, the entertainment industry. I would love to share a bottle of wine with and just talk about movies talk about their experiences okay yeah i could have i could have talked to oh, yeah, i would collectively love to talk to both of them for ages and i'm i kind of opened my eyes doing the research of this one into dan's comic book work something that um i kind of peripherally knew about but uh it's really given me and listening to his passion as well talking about is really kind of giving me a kick up the ass to check out those books so um I will be getting those on order and um, I don't know, maybe in the future, maybe if Dan ever gets to play Copenhagen, again, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe he'll just want to come back, just me, him and Patrick come back for a chat. Who knows? Uh, so as for next week on the podcast, as I said at the beginning, we're kind of just to give myself a little bit of a break as well. So I'm not recording two episodes a week and to give this series a little bit of a shine because it's kind of been not relegated, but it's been just released on Friday. It's been a bonus. Um, yeah, the final three episodes plus a bonus wrap-up episode will be the next four weeks of programming um, on this podcast, all talking about the offer. So if you haven't listened to, to the previous seven episodes on the feed, go back and listen to those. If you haven't watched the show, um, I do recommend it. It's uh, It's got its flaws, and we, we're honest about those uh, in, in our recaps and our discussions, um, myself and Will Chitch, but... I think it's fun. I think if you meet it on its level, it's a, a really great show. So, uh, yeah, uh, mate, I, 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 I'll, I'll say this here now. Um, I think I'm going to reach out to somebody who was involved with the making of The Godfather to kind of get their um, impressions of the show as well, if, if they've been watching it. I think that would be quite fascinating. I won't say who it is yet. I always make the mistake of letting people know uh, guests that I'm thinking of getting on and then it doesn't come to fruition, then the egg is very much on my face. So I've learned from that and I, I don't announce stuff until it's kind of in the bag, in the bank, ready to roll. So I'll do that, with, especially on this case, because it may not come to fruition. Um, but yeah, if you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of the podcast, uh, please leave a five-star rating and review. Uh, you can do that on any uh, podcast platform, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. As always, um, leave a message in there with what you think Bill Murray said to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation, as well as just some nice words about the show, if you're enjoying it. It always brightens my day, and uh, so does kind of chatting to you guys. So you can reach me on all the socials, so that is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, and TikTok, all at Caged in Pod, nice and simple, all the same handle. You cannot forget it. Uh, or if you'd like to drop me an email, that's always fun. Uh, you can head on over to cagedinpod at gmail.com and yeah, send me something long form. 
uh, let's have a chat. Let's have a chat. What, what would you like to see covered on the podcast? Let me know that. Like, obviously, I kind of hold off on certain things. I don't want to go too heavy. Earlier this year, we covered The Godfather. Maybe do we cover part two in a year? Like, like matching like a, a year later. Do we hold it later? So many films to go through. Is there anyone you would like to hear on the podcast? Whether it's a journalist, whether it's a, a filmmaker, whether it's a, an actor, whoever. If you have any connections to anyone who's worked with the Coppola family, if you have any connections to anyone in the Coppola family themselves, please do slip into any DMs or into that inbox or my email with any leads. I'm always fascinated to talk to people. Um, like i don't know and I, I, I think this conversation is testament to it that i'm not too bad at these interviews i think i'm pretty good i think it's something i particularly enjoy there's something um fun and fascinating about interviewing people i love doing the research i love i love just getting better with it every time and kind of i don't know uh having my um idiot charm i like to call it when speaking to guests and i i think maybe i don't know it slightly endears me to them i think oh this guy is passionate but he's he's a bit of a goof so uh yeah i'll open up to him and i think i think that happened in this chat with dan if you'd like to support this show financially head on over to patreon.com forward slash cage the pod where for as little as one pound a month you can get some bonus content so as always guys i've been petrus pat syllabus your guide through the crazy world of the copa family tree remember to keep it caged in and i'll catch you next time hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.